Welcome to One Quick Point, the strategy-focused podcast focused on the one key element communications and marketing professionals can use to be the critical link to their success. I'm your host, James Walker. Let's jump in. On this episode of One Quick Point, we're joined by Asha Aravindakshan, VP of Customer Delight and Operations at Sprinkler. Asha has started off on a very non-traditional path for most comms and marketing folks with a degree in finance. Since she graduated undergrad, she has pivoted herself through many different types of roles going across the public, the private, and the nonprofit sector. She's used that experience plus many interviews she's done during the pandemic to compile a book called Skills, the Common Denominator. She's going to join us here to talk a little bit about her personal experiences and some of what she's learned in the process of putting together the book. Thanks, and let's jump in. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Asha. Thanks for having me, James. I'm super excited to be here. So I think we've been talking about how the pandemic has affected us, changed our perspective on things. There's been a lot going on. But what I've seen at this point in the game is that people have started to reflect, or at least I have, as we cross the one-year mark of this. So we all have our own kind of pandemic story or several stories. But how has this period, which has been unlike any other, how's it been for you? Have you changed anything at a noteworthy level personally or professionally? And are there any learnings or advice that you would give somebody moving into year two of this thing? Because it's not quite over yet. James, it's crazy to think we're going into our second year of a global pandemic. For me personally, in a couple of days, it'll be 13 months of working from home which is so strange to say because you know the 6 months before that I was on the road every week for work sometimes going to two or three cities in a week and so I think that was you know a huge shift um, in my work life balance and just my you know, my day to day not having to commute an hour into the office um, and only three minutes now to my desk. So I think that just that balance has been different and getting getting used to it took a while, to be honest. Um, I'm sure like you, you know, was working a ton the first, you know, three to six months of the pandemic. And then I realized I needed to bring more balance into my life and sought some different options um, that could help me do that. And I remember a conversation that you and I had around Labor Day about, you know, adjunct roles. And that was something that I was interested in looking in and, and you advised me there. And I talked to a couple of people you referred me to, but I found it was something that I wouldn't be able to do as well, I think, virtually than I could in person. So decided to table that idea and pursue a different one about writing a book. And that's something that I had in the back of my mind for about five years and just realized like I now had the time to actually invest in collecting the content, putting the words on paper and getting it published, you know, even though I didn't know how long we would be in this you know, pandemic life. And I think now going into the second year of the pandemic, it's, it's going to be a very, I think, just interesting situation as we all come back into the normal or new normal at, a, at different paces, right? Depending on when folks are getting vaccinated, when offices reopen, when businesses reopen fully. And we just, I think, have to take it slowly and just go at a pace that's comfortable for us and not rush into getting back to 100% pre-pandemic life. I think that part is key. And I heard several things in there that I think would resonate with a lot of folks. So this idea of balance, I remember early in the pandemic, 
Um, so I'm married. I have two kids under three. And this piece of coming home and having the kids at home and working, it was so hard in those first few months. And like you mentioned, everybody's trying to keep up. And then you start to realize you can't. And you have to figure out what's that new rhythm that you're going to get. And it's changed even over the past year to the point where I feel like, at least from the agency side, clients were very skittish about things. There was things were kind of moving slower. Business was moving slower. And then we turned the corner after the election happened and people started to ramp things up because now things need to change and we need to push. And I felt that kind of come back. And I'm finding myself as we go through this into year two of this, that that balance needs to be struck again. And I think people are trying to potentially get back to that 100% the same way they're used to having having that 1% a little early, maybe, maybe a little premature. So uh, it's definitely something that I think everybody's trying to figure out, and it's going to be an ongoing process. Now, how does that work? Because I understand it from the agency side. How does it work from your role at Sprinkler? Because many of our folks on the traditional PR marketing side may not be aware. PR folks probably should be, um, but they may not be aware of what Sprinkler is. So could you tell us a little bit about that and your remit as VP of Customer Delight and Operations? Absolutely. So Sprinkler is a customer experience management platform. We serve as a unified front office tool that unites both the marketing and customer care sides of the business. And so what we found, you know, in the last year was companies accelerating their digital transformation efforts to meet the customers where they were, which was at home. Mm-hmm. And so you saw industries, you know, that were disrupted, um, including, you know, really traditional ones like retail and brick and mortar institutions switching over to e-commerce and social media channels to connect with those customers and be authentic in their outreach, right? And so for us at Sprinkler, it was really eye-opening to see how you we could convert, you know, a, a sales and field staff that's used to being on the road constantly to working from home. You know, there was uh, our CRO chief revenue officer charged everyone, if you were to have one sales meeting in person, you need to have three virtual meetings as the equivalent. Mm -hmm. And so things like that and the motivation um, from leadership, including weekly town halls in the beginning, uh, you know, we launched a daily TV show that goes to all the staff, you know, every day um, with a couple of our colleagues hosting it. Things like that provided the motivation to keep going. And then, of course, you know, sharing the stories of new brands that we were bringing in uh, was really exciting because we it was nonstop for for us as an organization. And in my role uh, on the customer light and operation side, which is the post sales organization, mm-hmm. I get to work with a lot of different teams on different initiatives. Um, for example, I had the chance to work on a couple of security compliance initiatives. That's not something I've ever done before, but was able to bring together teams from across the organization to, and we're talking, you know, 50, 60 people to say, we're going to put these security compliances in place and that'll make our technology stronger and safer for regulated industries. Okay. Okay. And so one of those examples, for example, is our um, FedRAMP compliance, which is for the public sector. The federal government has standards of security that they use for software. So now we are compliant in that sense. Or payment card industry compliance, so that when you're using our chatbot software, you can take credit card information. That's huge for multiple industries to be able to do that and convert customers during a, during a conversation that they may be having on, on a support ticket, 
for example. So, you know, worked on a couple of initiatives like that. Um, there's also, I work on some fun technologies like digital adoption. And so this is something that we use on our customer platform to put customized navigation guides into the tools. So when, uh, when you log in and there's a new product release, you can see what's new and know where to go. Okay. I've actually rolled that same software in our internal applications that our employees use. So when new employees come, they can log in and understand how to use things from day one because they can't lean over and ask the person at the next desk exactly. how to use a tool, right? And so what we saw was, and we had implemented that tool about six weeks before the pandemic. And with everybody being sent home 13 months ago, in the first 10 weeks, we saw the adoption of the tool skyrocket because all of a sudden they couldn't lean over and ask their neighbor what to do. They had to only look at what was on the screen and figure out how to navigate on their own. So pretty cool initiatives. Um, it's been interesting, you know, with everyone being home or a global organization, over 2,500 employees in more than 15 countries. And I feel like we didn't skip a beat, to be honest. That's it was problem. pretty... Yeah, it was pretty smooth sailing switching over to remote work because we were already we're a SaaS company and we're built 100% on SaaS. Mm -hmm. So we didn't we didn't have any issues there. That's really great to hear because I think there's been a balance of companies that really took it hard because there was zero infrastructure to help manage through that and then companies I'm hearing stories like yours where there was a, already a distributed workforce. And so now it's right. not locale versus, you know, office versus your apartment or your house versus being able to accommodate and, and complete your job from different locations. So, yes, I've talked to other folks in technology and, and they had struggles with getting laptops for their employees. Right. Because they had, you know, had them set up in the office with, with desktops and workstations. And I thought, wow, that's a different set of challenges. Especially with what you're talking up. about, you know financial sector or government clients there are a lot of old hard and fast rules about where the work happens and that's happens. right so okay and we i think one thing we've all learned is the work can happen from anywhere right not even from your home you may choose to go you know rent an airbnb somewhere or go rent an airstream somewhere right and, right. and travel the country and i think that just shows you like as long as people can work from wherever they want whenever they want and can get the work done, we shouldn't have them tied to a desk in the office. I agree. And I think as people are trying to figure out where and when to return to the traditional office and how that's going to look, we're seeing so many people think about, okay, well, are we just going to have people work remotely as long as they wish? Are we doing flex schedules? How, do, how is this going to manifest itself? And I think part of that conversation is is exactly what you're saying. It's about this understanding that the work has been getting done and it's there's there should be some flexibility in the system in the model such that you don't just return back to where you were now i have to say this though it sounds like you guys didn't miss a beat didn't skip a beat been very busy during this period where and when did you get the time to sit down and say all right i'm going to focus on this book you know i know that there's a lot that's changed in the pandemic. Most people point to, okay, well, I no longer commute. And so that gave me some time. But where are you finding this? And, and the idea for this book seems so timely, given what's going on. I'd love to hear a little bit about the impetus for it and the, the, the genesis, I guess, of the idea. Absolutely. I think for me, it was just a matter of prioritization. And so I mentioned, you know, I was commuting two hours a day and then putting that two hours towards work. 
Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden it's like, okay, can I take those two hours for myself? How can I rebalance my hours on the weekends mm-hmm. to allocate time for this? And so I found this program. It's actually affiliated with Georgetown University called the Creators Institute. And the person that's been running it, Eric Custer, has been doing it for about five years. And the first couple of years, it was solely for Georgetown students. And then he opened it up to the public. And it had been on my radar I was like, oh, if I ever wanted to write a book and self-publish, maybe this is a good option. And he periodically sends out reminders. I see his LinkedIn post about how the authors are doing. And I was thinking, this is now September, that this is maybe a good time for me to carve out the time that I need to focus on this project for me. And so I reached out to Eric, got into his program, and actually spent the first few months just collecting content. Um, on the topic. And so the topic that I've chosen to write on is transferable skills and how to do a modern day job search. And I had been giving a presentation about modern day job searches using LinkedIn for five to six years at this point. And so I had content already there from speeches and different presentations to students and alumni um, at different organizations that I just pulled together. And that was 10,000 words. Without me having to write a single new word. Wow. Okay. So I was in a good spot, I felt. (laughs) Definitely. So you've been talking about this for five or six years. You're like, you know what? I'm going to concentrate this and spend this time I have putting this into a book. What's the reaction been since people have been hearing about you focusing on this in this concerted way? I mean, it's usually one of, you know, surprise and delight. Right. I think the folks that, you know, were who didn't know that I had this interest or passion on the topic were really surprised to hear that I was now writing a book about it, which is fine. Right. (laughs) They're learning. Um, But I think the folks that knew that I had given this presentation before or had actually, you know, been a witness to a presentation um, were really delighted to know that I was being able to kind of like bottle it into this book. And so, you know, they've been my biggest supporters the last, you know, six months as I've been on this journey, which is great. Excellent. Excellent. So when I hear the word career pivot, my eyes and ears immediately perk up because to me, it's something that if everybody, they don't have to pull the trigger and do it, but if they have the confidence and the ability to, to me, this is the thing that makes you bulletproof in terms of just getting to the goals, getting to the places you want to get to. And it's got me thinking about things that I want to put into motion that help people kind of, once they see the lane they want to get into and they have a defined location, you know, end point, if you will, that, that helps people kind of get there. I would love to know if you would describe your career to date as one that's been filled with pivots, because I know we share undergraduate degrees from George Washington University. So that's a common ground, but we started off in vastly different places. You have a degree in finance and from school of business. And I was over here uh, in Columbian College with a degree in communication. So I'd love to learn about the key points in your journey from undergrad to this role now and how pivoting may have played a role in that. Absolutely. And it's it's funny that you laughed, um, you know, because we did start in the same place and we ended up in adjacent industries. Right. Right. And, but it was a a very windy road for me. And so, you know, personally, I graduated with a degree in finance, 
but I have never worked in finance. Right. And I've been able, but I've been able to use the different parts of that degree to have a very interesting career where I've gone from nonprofit to private sector to public sector, back to nonprofit, back to private sector at a high level. Right. And then in 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 those organizations, been able to work in almost every functional area, human resource, finance, IT, strategy, you know, a little bit of marketing in there. And that for me has been really rewarding. And I've learned a ton. And all of those pivots that I've made, it's because somebody opened the door for me. Mm. And I think the one thing that we both learned at GW was the value of relationships. And so I think that, you know, being able to build the relationships, cultivate them early, we learned that in our internships, right? And to take that into our professional careers, and we continue to build on that, it just, that has allowed me to flourish in my career to this day. And I interviewed about a dozen people, and I definitely see like the, there are people who set an intention about moving ahead. And so I loved how you mentioned that earlier, like just like plotting ahead and knowing where you want to go is definitely something that anyone can do. And once they put their mind to it, they can achieve. I usually ask, well, you know, have you talked to people about different opportunities? Maybe they see something that you don't see. And you mentioned people open the door for you. I was curious, did you already have something in mind when those people open the door for you? Or did they kind of proactively seek you out and say, hey, I see that you have maybe some skills that you could, you parlay over here in a beneficial way? How did that start to manifest itself for you? It's it's been both, to be honest. Um, there, are, when I think about the first pivot I made, I set the intention that I wanted to go into a stable private company. This, I was leaving the nonprofit sector, and a friend of mine, a couple of years ahead of me, said, "Why don't you look at the corporate executive board?" And if you remember, that company is located right next to campus. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so I was familiar with it. He was able to pass my resume onto his sister who had already worked there. And that referral got me an interview because at that point in, their, in, the, in the history of the company, they would always give an interview to anyone that was a referral, Got it. which was great. And so, you know, like that, I set the intention to secure the interview. When I think about the pivot from there into the government, that was completely unexpected. I got a call, you know, out of the blue one day of asking me, do I want to join the government? And I, it's something that I had dreamed of, you know, doing much later in my career. And so to be able to accelerate that decision and that change, you know, just felt the natural and I accepted the offer. Um, and I think there are other, you know, and those, you know, two very different experiences, but they continue to repeat throughout my career. So I think it can happen either way and people just need to keep an open mind um, and maybe accept, accept some risk when they're making these decisions. Definitely. Now, as you've been going through collecting these stories, I'm curious if you maybe can give us a little teaser of what we might encounter in the book. Um, what's really out there? Is there anything that you've heard in terms of a story that's been surprising to you? Absolutely. I would love to share, you know, two stories related, you know, to what your audience will love marketing. So I have the story of Carter Holland, who actually started out as a rocker, um, having a band. And he, you know, then pivoted from being a musician to a journalist at Billboard, hmm. right? Writing about the musicians to a management consultant because someone recognized that his writing skills were really strong. 
And so he could go into, you know, management consultant role and, you know, be able to produce presentations very comfortably because he was already used to being on stage. Interesting. Right. And then he pivoted the writing skill and then the organizational and management skills that he learned in the management consultancy to a corporate communications role in-house at a software company. And since then has enjoyed being a CMO three times over in his career which just amazed me, right? When you think about where he started and where he ended. And this will sound like I'm, I'm a fanboy for the book that I haven't read yet. It's, 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 so the book will be released in August? This year? That's right. At the end of August, it'll be available on Amazon. Okay. So I, I definitely will be ready for, for pre-orders when we're, when we're good to go. But what I was going to say about that story, what sounds so interesting to me is I can already start to see some of the through lines. Okay, so he's a performer. And so it makes sense he understands that musical career. What I find sometimes is when people are thinking about the pivot, they're looking for literally the straight linear line that's going from here to there. And sometimes you have multiple skills at the beginning and the thing that moves you from role one to to role two or sector one to two is not necessarily the thing that moves you from sector two to three. Absolutely. That's right. And And that's why keeping an open mind is so important. Right. And what I find also is that sometimes if you're paying enough attention, it's just you made a decision when you went from one to two, that if you had made something different, you could have done a straight beeline for one to three. So when you're thinking about it, you went from that musician into the journalist into then the consulting role. Well, you know what the consulting role you mentioned, they said he had good, you know, uh, presenting skills. He was a performer. He's been on stage. He could have just went straight there. And I wish people would see that there's certain opportunities that are available to them if they have that open mind, like you mentioned. It doesn't and that's have right. to be the next logical thing. And that's so important because he didn't even you know, have management consulting on his radar. It was like a chance meeting that put it on his radar. And I think that's where you know, also being really open-minded in who you're meeting, events you're attending, whether they're virtual or in person, it's important so that you understand what else is out there. Now, one thing about that, and I would love to hear the second story as well, is that it's interesting when we talk about people seeing the opportunities and some people opening doors for them. What I find now is that there's this rigidity around uh, resume reviews or when people are looking for uh, candidates, they have a really narrow view sometimes of what they're looking for. And it's kind of hard to get through the computer screen and everything else all of the skills that you might have available as you're trying to tailor yourself to a specific role. And it made me think of the CMO Moves podcast. I was recently listening to it and they had Minjay Orms on and she's the CMO of Visible. And she talked about how her job is one that had her in the traditional PR lane for a while. And then through an internal referral, she was able to get into a marketing role at YouTube. And they almost didn't interview her because they said, well, she's a PR person. Uh, We're looking for somebody with marketing skills. And that referral went and really went to the map for her and said, at least have the conversation. You don't have to hire her, but have the conversation and see what, what she can bring to the role. And when they did do the interview, she said, you know, they really liked her and gravitated. Things started to move very fast. And I, I wanted to get your take on that as well, because while people need to have an open mind about their pivots. Is there anything that you picked up from the stories or your own experiences that you could possibly give guidance to people on the other end of the table when you're looking at candidates 
that maybe will help them see the potential for transferable skills or pivots. James, I'm smiling over here because I feel like you've seen my manuscript. (laughs) (laughs) I have provided the angle for hiring managers as well. Nice. Throughout the book, because as being an, you know, someone who's applied for jobs and then been on the other side of the table hiring, you know, and always keeping an open mind, you, we almost need to teach that to people. It's like we forgot how to keep an open mind once we enter the role of a hiring manager. So I have, you know, chapters dedicated specifically for employers. And then with every story, trying to highlight like what could have been the reason someone opened that door right? Because you want to be that person that opens the door for the next person. And so I love that you share the story of, of this, you know, this person who became a CMO, right? Because somebody opened the door for her and right. that, and we should all have that same privilege of somebody opening the door for us. Um, and actually to my point, that it's a good segue to the second story about Lindsay Lines, who works for the Brown Bag Marketing Agency out of Atlanta. She joined, got into a role, you know, in account management, which is I think fairly typical for anyone joining an agency, right? right? But then when an opportunity presented itself to run the operations of a division of the company, she raised her hand and realized the project management that she had been doing in the account management role was just here again, but at a different level in the operations role. And then when she became comfortable with that, she decided, well, let me raise my hand and take over HR and finance. So she was able to grow her operations portfolio in a span of a few years because she built on her skills as a marketer, running really successful projects for the company to be able to make sure the business was successful overall, running multiple projects. And now she's back in the role of account management at at a senior vice president level, and she just has a better respect of how the business functions and how everything comes together and why someone's, you know, one project where they don't see the big picture has to connect back when you're resourcing and staffing and, and allocating, you know, other resources within the company to make sure, making sure that's successful. So I think that people need to also think of an open mind of how they can apply the skills they're learning into other parts of the business they're currently in. That's such a great point because I think now the deeper I get into my role with running a team, digital team at Weber Shandwick, it has become the, the staffing the, the revenue generation, the, the hour, the billable hours, all of the key pieces that help the business run has become so much more of a focus that when you get down to things like hiring, you it's hard for me to even get to thinking about the account by account focus that I think a lot of people have to have. It's like I'm looking across the portfolio and saying, well, maybe they're not at 100% fit here for this thing that we're trying to, to fill, but there are other opportunities across and you can start to see where people maybe can plug and play. But this, the, the command that you mentioned about the other parts of the business, it's so key too, because you, you tend to go out with a job wreck because you need somebody to fill a specific hole. And sometimes it's worth looking at a candidate holistically and seeing, okay, not only the skills they have that fit that hole, but also the other things that they're bringing along with them that either support you in another area or may hopefully give you an idea about how you may be able to skill up, improve, pivot your, your business itself uh, in new directions. So it's, it's possibilities for win-win on both sides if people can approach it in the right way. So I appreciate you sharing those teasers. And it definitely has me interested in seeing, okay, what else, what else is in there? I would love to talk a little bit, though, about your career and maybe transferable skills that you've built that have powered that for you. 
Absolutely. For me, the, my favorite example is my first full-time role was as an event planner. And then my next role was an account manager. And then my next role was a project manager. And for me, all three of those skills are the same. Mm-hmm. You're running towards a deadline and there are milestones that you have to hit before then, right? <laughs> and so for me, being able to pivot was first, you know, challenging because I'm going into a new sector or a new industry. But once I realized the nuts and bolts were the same of what needed to be done, that made it easier for me to ramp up and get up to speed on what on, on the organization and the customers. And so for that, and then that all three have the underlying ethos of customer service also made it simpler to understand like you're, there is a stakeholder somewhere who needs something. How do you get it to them in, in the most efficient way possible? Mm-hmm. And those skills have served as a basis of my career. I kind of like roll through one of those three in every single role. And it, it always approach everything with a professionalism that people, they see that and they value that but they don't know where it came from, mm-hmm. right? Because they just look at my LinkedIn or they look at my resume and they're like, how did she get here? Right. And it's almost like, that doesn't matter. What's, what can I bring to the table? Exactly. And so that's also part of the, the piece too that's I think a little interesting. When you talk about transferable skills, there's a bit of uh, a conversation and a negotiation in that conversation you have to have in order for people to focus on the right things. So from a, a comms and marketing perspective, are there any skills that you would specifically recommend that people build there? Because um, I got my MBA at Stern primarily so I could better understand how businesses run, to understand my clients a little bit more and what their challenges are. But also it gave me a new lens on how agencies run as well and thinking about, okay, what are the efficiencies that you can build in? And not only think about how you can do your job better to better run the business, but how things kind of interconnectedly run better together. And what you need to do from, like you mentioned, a stakeholder standpoint, from a policy standpoint, and a few other things that help your business generate more revenue and lead to more growth. So I'm just curious if there's anything specific that you would recommend uh, for comms and marketing people in terms of skills that they should build, because they ultimately will be transferable. Yes, I studied a lot of people's trajectories just looking at their LinkedIn profiles when I was, you know, conducting interviews, and I definitely found especially with marketing communications folks, if they build their skill in a particular segment of the industry, for example, B2C or healthcare, they're able to flourish either moving around from companies in that space or moving between the stakeholders in that area. So I'll give you an example of actually another GW grad who started her career with the advisory board. So they do healthcare consulting. And then she went to work for a nonprofit. And now she's with the hospital system. Mm -hmm. And so has been able to kind of channel the communication skills between those three organizations, but they're very, they do very similar work. The constituents are similar. Um, And the example of B2C I know someone who's gone from American Express to Marriott to Amazon to Microsoft. And these are all B2C organizations, very large ones, Fortune 500 organizations. But they all, because they have the same customer type, she's been able to leverage her skills in dealing with them. Another example of a, a 
classmate of mine from business school who works abroad, you know, car company to a retailer to a grocer. They all sound very different when you say it out loud, but yeah. the, the customers are the same, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think that's been re- a really interesting pattern to find, especially with the marketers, because it wasn't what I was expecting to see in my research. And so I think you know people in marketing and communication should be really excited that once they start building their skills, they learn how to talk about them, they'll find that they'll doors will open for them and they'll be able to move throughout the industry. Well, thank you for that guidance. And a quick follow-up on that is maybe you can shed some light on how you would advise them to talk about some of those transferable skills. Because I think sometimes it can get lost in the conversation if you're not bringing them up in the right way. Or sometimes people, hiring managers decide they just don't believe it. They just feel like, oh, well, you want the job, so you're trying to sell your way in. But is there anything that you would give advice on in terms of how you show that some of those skills that you have built in one area are truly transferable in another. Like, you know, you talk about going from a grocer to another sector. Sometimes that's almost like a non-starter for a hiring manager. They want somebody who knows their sector. So there's something you could share about that. I think, you know, when you look at yourself and you think about the skills that you're bringing to the organization, I bet everyone listening to this has strong writing skills. And to be able to talk about those writing skills and how they not only put together client presentations or press releases um, or any other client-facing material, but to say like how they can then interpret what the co- client's needs are, regardless of who the client is. And being able to put that on paper is really important. So I think highlighting you know, skills like that, really tangible. And then on the other example where you know they, these folks had worked in B2C industries, talking about how it is the same customer that is going to the car company, to the retailer, to the grocery store, right? Mm-hmm. And knowing that persona really well should help them open the door into the next place they want to go instead of versus trying to look for someone who's only worked for one of those um, corporations or one of those types of one of those sectors, right? Because then you're keeping a very narrow focused, and this is why we need to change the view of the hiring managers, that you want to think of someone who's got a broader understanding of the customer and not a narrow one. Definitely. Now, it, it kind of brings me right back to my early comms days in, in school, where I had a professor, he taught a course called Issues and Image Management, and he really got us down to these like four lanes, sender, message, means, and receiver. And it's just really thinking about in every context, what are you trying to communicate? Who's communicating it? What's the best way to do that? And who's the audience that you have? And if you understand the needs and wants and the benefits of making specific decisions along the way, you can be a powerful communicator, marketer. You fill in whatever the blank is. If you're helping people parlay one idea into another, if you get those, you're going to be good at it. And I think when I'm teaching, a lot of what I'm now trying to get people to understand is that you can do almost anything under there if you know how to think about the approach. And that's that's something that hopefully you know as i interview people for for this podcast that people start to see as a through line here it's the thoughtfulness in the approach and the thoughtfulness about the choices you make in the execution that make the difference so uh, i really appreciate that guidance as we move through it now what i would love to kind of do here is talk a little bit more about you asha the person so I always love hearing about people and their stories and their trajectories. And I find 
but there's a ton we can pick up from the details of their lives that maybe inform directly or indirectly the choices that they make. So I'd love to learn a little bit more about you if that's okay. That sounds great. Awesome. Awesome. So what is your hometown? Brooklyn, New York. Really? This is Yes. Where in Brooklyn? I grew up in Brighton Beach, a block a half away from Coney Island. Nice, nice, nice. So I was born in Queens, raised in Brooklyn. Nice. In Canarsie, Flatbush area. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, I grew up in Brighton Beach. I went to um, school in Midwood. Nice. Okay, okay. So right off of Flatbush there. Okay. Yes. If you had to pick an intro song that played anytime you entered a room, what song would it be? So I've been thinking a lot about that this weekend because for a long time it was Rockwilder. And we know DMX is in the hospital this weekend. So that's why I was thinking about it. What is your favorite word? Interesting. What sound do you love? Ooh, I think quiet. (laughs) (laughs) Well timed, well timed. What sound do you hate? Birds chirping. Oh, well, you're entering the season of that. I know. (laughs) (laughs) What profession other than yours would you like to attend? So this is a funny one. Um, About 10 years ago, when I left my role in the government, I did this adventure of meeting 30 different people in 30 days. And in those conversations, I would present to them my skills and say, this is what I love to do. And I would ask them, how would this fit into your organization? And three of them came back and said, this is like public relations, what you're doing. You should find a job in PR. Okay. I'm about at this point, a decade out of school. And when I did my research into PR roles, it seemed like there were only entry-level roles available or very senior roles available with people with decades of experience. There was nothing in the middle. So that said, I never got to explore a career in PR, but it's something that I would love to attempt one day. Asha, call me. (laughs) (laughs) Do you need an intern? We can make it happen. (laughs) Um, No, you have transferable skills. It'll It'll be more than an intern. (laughs) Good. Thank you. Um, What profession would you avoid completely? Anything in the healthcare space. I just, the, you know, blood and needles and all that kind of stuff just does not jive with me. Mm -hmm. What motivates you to do the work you do now? Wow. I think for me, it's always knowing that that we're doing the best thing for our customers in, like I mentioned, the digital transformation earlier, I'm really passionate about that topic. And when I see the customer succeeding because they're helping their customers, it's the best feeling in the world. Excellent. Where's the last place you traveled? The last place I was in pre-pandemic was Orlando. It was actually a work conference. And it was also my first trip to the Magic Kingdom. Nice. And where would you love to go next? I wanted to go to Tokyo for the Olympics this summer, but they just decided last week to um, not allow any visitors into the country. Yeah, that was a bit of a shocking one. That was really shocking. So I'm not sure where the next trip will be, uh, but I'll make sure that it has um, sun and sand. Nice. I'm a big fan of sun and sand. My family's from the Caribbean, so it's all about that. I'm definitely missing that. And thankfully, I did make it to Tokyo on the back half of a trip from Mongolia. And oh, wow. Yeah. I, I Story for another day. I, I was supposed to go there for a three-month scope, and I ended up moving there for seven months and two days. Um, and so on the way out of the country, I was like, all right, I'm, I'm on the other side of the world. I should go someplace else before I go home. 
And I landed on Tokyo and I was there for a week and it was awesome. I'm dying to go back because I can only imagine how much has changed since then. Um, so I'm definitely probably going to be on the flight behind yours when you're, when you're going. That's exciting. Um, okay. So if heaven exists, what would you like God to say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Wow. James, what a question. (laughs) Thank you. Nice. All right. So thank you, Asha. We will let you have the last word here. So I will say, I will ask if you could leave our listeners with one quick point, a strategy or a tactic that will help them pivot careers, what would it be? You know, for this closing point, I would love them to remain curious. And I think that as a strategy will keep them raising their hands for opportunities when they come, will open the doors and they'll walk through them and it'll bring them the happiness they want in their career. Very nice. And with that, we will close this episode. Thank you for joining us, Asha. Thank you, James. Thanks. And this is one quick point.